All right, everybody, welcome to Remnant. How are we doing? Fantastic. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. If you're new, I, I want to meet you today. I'm really glad that you chose to take time out of your weekend uh, to come see us here at Remnant and to worship God and to learn a little bit more. And I talk about it all the time that, you know, we just come here because many of us sought God and we, we thought we'd find God by finding enough information. Hold on. And we thought we'd find God by finding enough information that if we just learned enough, we could sort of master this God thing, this religion thing, and, and then we'd figure it out. And the, the problem is we found out that like God's not calling us to learn information. He's calling us into relationship. And, and without the relationship, the information is worthless. Without the, hold on. We're not gonna let this happen. Are we doing any better? Testing, one, two, no, hold on. Y'all can pray for our church. We've had all kinds of Wi-Fi interference all week long. Okay, hold on, how's that, is that better? Keep talking and see what happens? Okay, I'll keep talking and we'll see what happens. In any event, we come here and we find out that as we learn more, we is it cutting out? It's driving me nuts now. Okay, hang on. See, this, this is what drives me nuts because I want to make sure you get this. And uh, Satan wants to make sure you don't. See, even when I said his name, it cut out. So, hmm. We're going to switch to this mic up here. Is that all right? Or a mic? Stand by. That's not going to work. Okay, we're going to keep going and hopefully it'll get better. No, I think it's the wire. I don't think it'll matter. All right. Okay, well, in any event, our goal is to try to figure out this Jesus thing. And so every week we come back because what we find is we're not so much gaining information, although we are gaining information. What happens is we, we find out that we're falling in love with a God who loves us even as messed up as we are. And it makes no sense. But yet our heart's drawn. And so we come back here every week and we worship him and when we, we, okay, I need a microphone. Hold on. Sorry. Stand by. Hold that thought. We're not going to go through this all day, so. You want me to use Natalie's? Don't worry, I'm not going to sing in case y'all are here. In case you're headed to the doors. It's kind of scary picking up Natalie's mic. It's probably not a battery issue, is it? Okay, this is like a pit stop at NASCAR. Do you ever see it? Vroom, vroom. All right, now let's try that and see if that's any better. All right, thank you, Paul. Okay. Yay for Paul. All right. But, but the, the issue is we come here and we learn more, and as we learn more, we're drawn more. But there's a point where we realize that this is a relationship. And what I've been talking about for the last 16 weeks or so is the Holy Spirit. 
And many of us, we, we have difficulty with that particular relationship. And yet it's the most important relationship in your spiritual life. Now, I have a dog at home that's named Rocco. Many of you have met Rocco. Rocco's a great dog, but he's not the original Rocco. Um, and I'm sure there were many other Roccos before that, but how many Sesame Street fans do we have in the house? Okay, Sesame Street, a while back, was actually a show you could watch. Uh, it's not anymore, but back in the day, how many know Rocco from Sesame Street? Remember Rocco? You don't remember Rocco? Wow, Rocco. Rocco was Zoe's pet rock. Zoe had a pet rock, and Rocco was her pet rock, and she went everywhere with it. And even though he's inanimate, he's in Zoe's mind all the time. Rocco can do anything, she said. It's historically been the cause of a lot of annoyance to Elmo. He gets frustrated. He gets frustrated. He keeps reminding Zoe, Rocco's just a rock. While Elmo's driven crazy by Rocco and Zoe's antics, the other characters are unfazed, and they play along with Zoe's pretending. Rocco's friends and family actually appear, episode 4126, if you want to look it up, including Rocky, Rock Manavoff, Uncle Rock, Aunt Rock, and Little Rock. It's unknown if he has other family members. Okay, so now it's time to tell the truth. How many of you had pet rocks in the 1970s? For those who were younger, in 1975, a California fad by salesman Gary Dahl, he decided that pets were too expensive, too messy, and too high maintenance. So he decided the perfect pet would be a pet rock. $3.95 each, which today would be probably 15 bucks. He sold over 5 million of these rocks. He's the author of Pet Rock Training Manual, which he sold over 2 million of. He was on The Tonight Show twice. Three-fourths of all newspapers in America had run stories on pet rocks. He was shipping 10,000 pet rocks a day. That's how things went viral before the internet and social media. His profit was a dollar per rock. Eventually, he wrote another book that sold over two million copies called How to Turn Your Idea into a Million Dollars. <laughs> Pet rocks were a fad. No one in their right mind could have a relationship with a rock. It couldn't happen. No matter how much you pretended, a rock is a rock. And yet so many carry the Holy Spirit around like he's a pet rock. Claiming to have a relationship. Deep down knowing that it's shallow and fake. You see, if we're gonna grow meaningful relationships with the Holy Spirit, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. A living person living inside of you and me and all who are believers just as Jesus lived and walked on the earth. If our first thought when we think of the Holy Spirit is something other than the person of God living in us, then we'll never be able to have a relationship with him. Today we're gonna to talk about the person 
of the Holy Spirit. Many people have come to me so far and they said, you keep saying he's a person. How do you know that? Why do you believe that? Well, because it's in scripture. That's how he defines himself. That's how he reveals himself. And today we're gonna go through, guess what? A lot of scripture. Why? Because I don't want you listening to me. I want you listening to God. And God's gonna show us who the Holy Spirit is and why and how we should have a relationship with him. So I want you to think for a minute, what's the picture that comes into your mind when you think of the Holy Spirit? We call him the Holy Spirit. We call him the Holy Ghost. Maybe you picture a cloud or a dense fog or something hovering over the waters at creation. Maybe, maybe he for you is like a spiritual presence or power. Maybe the ghost thing freaks you out. Some see him like a dove uh, descending from heaven. We're told that the spirit descended on Jesus like a dove when he came out of the baptismal. Some people picture the Holy Spirit like a dove. Maybe in your mind you see fire. You picture the Holy Spirit as a burning fire that ignites and falls on you. Something you have to keep stirring and attending to to keep it burning. You picture the Holy Spirit like he was at Pentecost. Fiery tongues falling on people. Maybe for you, the Holy Spirit is a supercharged power source, like seriously amped up solar or nuclear power that can recharge you and fill you up. Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Spirit of God brings to mind all sorts of images. And while some of these images describe the work of the Holy Spirit, they don't accurately define him. In fact, our inability to define him is the primary reason he's been called the forgotten God. The Holy Spirit is not an it or a thing. I hear people say, well, the Holy Spirit, well, it's like the wind. Or the Holy Spirit, it's powerful. We need more of it in our lives. Why do so many desire that the Holy Spirit is a force and not God? Why do so many people prefer to see the Holy Spirit as a force and not God. Let me ask it another way. Why do we change anything about God or his word? Let me just sidetrack for a minute. Every time someone wants to redefine God or change God's truth or believe something that God did not reveal about himself, they do it for the same reason every single time. A desire to be in control that comes from our pride. We want the Holy Spirit to be a force rather than God because I might be able to control or direct or change a force. I might be able to use a force for my purposes. I can give the force as much power as I want him to have, but I can still maintain control. You see, when I begin to admit that the Holy Spirit is actually God inside of me, I have no control. I lose any and all control because I surrendered to Almighty God who's living inside of me. You see, and the problem we have, many of us, is we don't, okay, if the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, then he's kind of like a distant relative. We miss the point that the Holy Spirit 
is God. And he's God in us. He's fully God. Fortunately, we're not left to speculate on our own. We're not left to try to figure this out for ourselves. The Holy Spirit wrote an autobiography teaching us the truth about himself. When we look at the scriptures, it becomes immediately obvious that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Trinity is clearly defined as one God, three persons. Why is this so critical? If you don't see the Holy Spirit as a person, you can never have a personal relationship with him. If you don't understand in the core depths of who you are that the Holy Spirit is a living person, God himself, you can't have a relationship with him because you'll see him as a pet rock. It's impossible to have a serious relationship with a pet rock. You can pretend all you want. We can only experience the amazing benefits and joys that come from a friendship with the Holy Spirit when we fully understand that he's a person. When you decide to relate to the Holy Spirit as a person and God, it can be very scary because it forces you to surrender the control you never had. It forces you and me to surrender the control we never, ever had. Many have surrendered their life, their salvation to Jesus for what he did on the cross. But have you surrendered everything in your life to the control and guidance of the Holy Spirit? So many people stagnate in their walk. They believe in Christ. They believe what he did on the cross. They, they are uh, repentant. They've turned from their sins. They are saved. They are going to heaven. And then everything freezes. And the reason it freezes is they don't have an understanding of the gift they've been given. It's like God has given us the most incredible gift and we won't read the owner's manual. And because we haven't read and believed the owner's manual, we can't use the gift. And then we wonder why our lives aren't changing to be more like Christ. We wonder, I think a lot of times when I hear about believers who are obviously in sin and unrepentant, I'm like, you're not reading the book, I know it because the Holy Spirit won't let you keep doing this if you're surrendered to the Spirit. You can't do it. So if there's a sin in your life, if there's something you're doing that you know you should not be doing, it's because you haven't surrendered that part of your life to the control of God. It's real simple. People see the Father and the Son as persons. That's easy. But the Spirit, they often think of it as an it. Now, I said something in a sermon a, few, a little while ago, and somebody said they thought it was disrespectful to God, and I was like, okay, um, I'm open to whatever. But I said it helps me at times to think about the Holy Spirit as Bob, a person. People say, well, that's disrespectful. I said, is it more disrespectful than considering him a pet rock? Because I, I see him as Bob. And if you're from a formal church, you could use Robert. If you're informal, you can use Bobby. It doesn't matter to me as long as you understand he's a person. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, had a name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is described in Scripture as the Holy Spirit. 
It might really help us to put the person back into our image of the Holy Spirit. I'm, of course, joking. God does not need my help, believe me. But it does help me to think about the Holy Spirit as a person. Why is there such confusion? The reason is the Holy Spirit is not a name. It's a description of his role. Each person of the Trinity is called by their role. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're not names, they're roles. Do you understand? Sometimes people call me Frank. Sometimes people call me other things. Sometimes people call me the doctor. Sometimes they call me the pastor. Some call me Pastor Doc. Some call me Preacher Man. Some call me a Texas Longhorn fan. Those are those are roles they're describing in my life. The Bible does the same thing. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each describing the role. And we get confused because the Father and Son give us images of people. We see that. The Holy Spirit doesn't. And yet the Holy Spirit is a person. If we're going to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we have to see him for the person that he is. It's not that we decide and create him to be a person. He already is. We understand the scriptures that tell us that. And today, I'm going to walk you through a lot of scripture for the sole purpose that when you walk out of this room, the one thing you will know for sure, you can believe whatever you want, but God's word clearly says the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit is a person a living thing with a soul and a personality. A person has his own identity or individually a rational being. What I want you to see today are the characteristics that differentiate a person from a pet rock. Person, pet rock. Person, pet rock. Start thinking about how you would tell the difference. And then you'll begin to understand the person of the Holy Spirit. It's odd to think of God as having a soul, isn't it? I mean, a living thing has a soul, most likely. Yet scriptures teach us that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit each have a soul. God the Father speaking of Jesus, Matthew 12, 18. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. The Father has a soul. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus has a soul and it's distressed. The Holy Spirit of God, Hebrews 10, 38, but my righteous one shall live by faith and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. All three persons of the Trinity have a soul. And a soul is made up of a mind and will and emotions. A person with a soul has thoughts, makes choices, and has feelings. The scriptures are filled with passages about the mind of God. We also see scriptures about the will of God. And we're going to look at scriptures about the emotions of God. We're going to see today that those who have surrendered to Jesus have a living God living inside of them. The Holy Spirit is fully God. There's nothing that he does not know. He's omniscient. There's no place he does not exist. 
He's omnipresent, and there's nothing he cannot do. He's omnipotent. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us and has the mind of God. He has the will of God. He has the emotions of God. And he begins to transform us from the inside out so we too can begin to attain those things. His desire is to change us, to get us to think the way God thinks, desire what God desires, and feel what God feels. So the first thing we need to know is that the Holy Spirit has characteristics of a person. He has a mind, he has a will, and he has emotions. Let me show you. He has a mind. In Isaiah 55, God the Father teaches us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God the Father has a mind. He has thoughts. We can easily understand God the Father. He has a mind. He has a powerful intellect. But the Holy Spirit has the same thing. John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you all things that are to come. If the Holy Spirit can teach all things, then the Holy Spirit must know all things. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit, the mind of the Spirit, is intelligent, and he has thoughts. 1 Corinthians 2.10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit clearly has a mind. He knows everything. So he has a mind. He also has a will. The Holy Spirit has a will. He makes decisions. He exerts his will in this world. Acts 13, 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Set apart for me for the work I have called them. Forces, feelings, and pet rocks don't call, and they don't speak, and they don't use words like I and me. He can and chooses to make decisions. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. When they went to uh, Macedonia, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit. He is exerting his will on earth. The person of the Holy Spirit has a mind, has a will, and has emotions. He has love. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. 
The Holy Spirit experiences sorrow and grief. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Isaiah said, but they rebelled and they grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and he himself fought against them. He loves, he experiences sorrow and grief. He gives joy. Luke 10, 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. As we study the Holy Spirit, we understand that he is a living, personal God. He has a mind, he has a will, he has emotions. But to drive this point further, the Holy Spirit acts like a person. He does what people do. He teaches, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. He teaches. He speaks. Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit testifies. When the counselor comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit does what people do. He teaches, he speaks, he testifies, he comforts. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. He's a comforter. He meets us in our moment. The Holy Spirit also does what people do. He leads. For all who are led by the Spirit are called children of God. In addition to leading and testifying and speaking and comforting, he encourages us. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit has a mind, a will, and he has emotions, and he acts like a person. He loves, comforts, leads, encourages, and he prays. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do know not what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He prays for us when we don't know what to pray for. So the Holy Spirit is a person with a mind and will and emotions, and we see throughout Scripture from beginning to end, he acts like a person. He acts like the Father and the Son. He has the same characteristics and... The Holy Spirit is treated like a person in Scripture. He can be lied to. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? 
He's treated like a person, but he's also lied to. He, he can be grieved. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He can be disobeyed. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. He can be loved, he can be adored. He can be obeyed, then he must be a person. Whenever we find the Holy Spirit in Scripture, he is consistently treated as though he is a person, God himself, and nothing less. Another thing we need to understand is the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. Take the Holy Spirit out, you have no Trinity. Change anything about the way he reveals himself and you have a false God. He's described as equal to the other persons of the Trinity. He's not a lesser being than God the Father or God the Son. The word God and Spirit are used interchangeably throughout the Bible. If we are forgetting about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, then we're forgetting about God. The Holy Spirit is eternal and holy, a full person of the Trinity. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 2 Corinthians 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You can't have a fellowship with a pet rock. The Holy Spirit is God living within us, acting out in the way God interacts. Jesus, the person that we saw walking on the planet, now is inside of us. The relationship with the Trinity is described in Scripture. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The same relationship exists between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was sent by the Father to be a perfect manifestation of the invisible God. The Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus to perfectly manifest his presence in the lives of his people. For the Holy Spirit is the perfect manifestation of Jesus in the world today. Let me repeat that. The Holy Spirit is the perfect manifestation of Jesus in the world today. The only place any human is going to see God on our planet is in his people. That's why it never detracts from Jesus to talk about the Holy Spirit. People say, which one do I pray for? I don't care. Pray. Just get on your knees. Start talking. They're all, they're all together. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all God. Pray. The one who relates to the Spirit is relating to Jesus. So the more you develop your relationship with the Holy Spirit, the closer your walk with Jesus will be and the more your life will begin to look like his. He was the perfect manifestation of God on this planet. 
He wants you and I to come as close to that as we possibly can. The only way we get close to that is by surrendering the control we never had, the power we never had, and allowing the Holy Spirit to be the God that he is living inside of us and fully surrendering to everything he wants to do. Then over time, we too become a living manifestation of God on earth. And people look at us and they go, wow, something's weird about you. Something's really weird about you, but at the same time, it's kind of freaky weird in a good way. What's going on? The writers of the Bible never, ever hesitated to give full glory to the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Acts, it seems like the entire book is about what the Holy Spirit was doing. The original audience recognized him as God and nothing has changed. So the Holy Spirit has the characteristics of a person. He acts like a person, he's treated like a person, and he's equal to the other persons of the Trinity. Why is that important? Because many in the church today look and act like they're in a relationship with a pet rock. And they wonder why they're not changing. Instead of the person of the living God, I sometimes wonder if the first century audience would even recognize what we call Christianity. I think about that all the time. If one of the members, one of those 3,000 that joined the church at Pentecost was to walk into this room or any church in America, would they understand that we're the same church? I think they'd be blown away. Why are you not following the Holy Spirit? Why are you not surrendering to your life to what he wants? Why is he not doing things in your midst? Because you're still trying to control him. It's that simple. If you don't feel the Holy Spirit moving in your life, guiding your thoughts, changing you, changing you to be something better, convicting you of sin, teaching you all things, it's not because he stopped working. It's because you and I stopped listening. Because we really don't want to know what he has to say. Because we're not ready to say anything, anywhere, any cost, any time. We want to control things. Our version of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, of Christianity is blander. It's more intellectual in nature. And it seems to lack the power of the Holy Spirit that was common in the early church. When we read about the early church, so many people go, man, that would have been so cool. God was doing stuff all the time. Wow, I wish he'd do that here. No, you don't. Because if you did, he'd be doing it. He hadn't changed. God's the same today as he was back then. What's changed, and Jesus said this, a prophet's not good in his own town. You have stymied the work of the Holy Spirit by your resistance to him. Church, I want us to experience everything God has, and I want us to get over the idea that we have to control it or maintain it or manipulate it or or approve it. I wonder how much we lose because we really don't expect the Spirit to show up like he promised he would. Everything we read about the church of the New Testament 
centered on the power of the Holy Spirit working through believers, working in the hearts of believers. But sadly, for most of us, this has not been our experience as a believer. Churches today are divided. The Holy Spirit is underappreciated, underpreached by 21st century churches. The gifts of the Spirit are overpreached and manipulated. But the Spirit himself, he's a sideshow. Usually the body of Christ is divided on two sides. One side stresses the word of God only, separating itself from what it believes is emotional fanaticism linked to those emphasizing the work of the Holy Spirit. The other side is known for drifting into unbiblical manifestations and unorthodox teaching while attributing it all to the Spirit of God. Within the church today, we have two groups. One is the word only, don't distract me with things of the Spirit. And the other group is like the Spirit only, don't hold me to the word. But it's in the middle. He does both. He holds the word of God. He teaches the word of God. And then he puts his stamp on it by doing the incredible things of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the writers to even write the Bible in the first place. And when you read it, there's a lot of promises concerning his work in your life. You can't really treasure God's word without giving the Holy Spirit his rightful place in that word. Those of the second group are all about experiences and they need to be reminded that everything has to be tested by Scripture. Remember the verse I showed a couple weeks ago? Many will come to me and say, we did these things in your name. And he says, I never knew you. What does that mean? People can look like they're doing things in the name of Jesus and they're not. You have to test what's happening with Scripture. The Spirit never contradicts the Word of God that He gave to us. If you have to take what the Spirit is doing and manipulate the Word of God to allow it to happen, He isn't doing it. Everything He does aligns with the Scriptures. When people tell me, well, you know, the Holy Spirit said this, I'm like, well, over here the Word of God says this. The Word of God trumps whatever's happening over here. It's real simple. God wrote the book. He can't contradict himself. I would bet, not bet, I would estimate that 80% of what you see that is spirit is not. You have to be careful. You have to know the word of God and you've got to have a relationship with the spirit. It's just like if somebody came up to Tammy, right? We've been, uh, how long have y'all been married? 53. Tammy and I a couple weeks ago celebrated our 38th anniversary. And here's the deal. If you went up to Tammy and you said, you know what, Frank was talking yesterday about how much he loves mushrooms. It's the most incredible thing. I didn't know he loved mushrooms. Apparently he loves mushrooms. And Tammy would go, I've spent every moment with him every day. That's not him. That's somebody else. You have to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that when you hear something false, you immediately reject it because that's not him. It should resonate in your spirit. You should be able to look at what's going on and go, that's not God. Period. The other thing is the Holy Spirit never, never, never puts the focus on the preacher. 
because the Holy Spirit is sent to glorify Christ alone. When you leave here, I don't want you going, wow, that sermon was really great. I want you to leave here going, God, Jesus is incredible. Do you see Jesus? Do you see what he does? It's so important. The church God intended is between those two extremes. Scripture details a church where the word of God is honored, but there is also a childlike dependence, openness, and wonder to the acts of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can make Christ alive for people. Christianity didn't stop at the cross. It didn't stop at the resurrection. The Holy Spirit came down. Jesus said, you will have power when he comes upon you. And the Holy Spirit continues to work today. Look at what Jesus promised. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He said, look, believe in me and there's going to be a living stream flowing through you straight from the throne of God. Everything about the Spirit of God speaks of powerful currents in your life. You're moved by the Spirit. You're motivated by the Spirit. You're driven by the Spirit. You float in the power of the Spirit. You go where the currents of the Spirit take you to experience what the Spirit wants you to experience. And in that process, he refreshes us. He overflows us and he pours us out to other people. That's supposed to be our everyday experience in the spirit. And yet for so many today, their life with the Holy Spirit is not flowing currents, but rather faint trickles or shallow stagnant pools stopped up by their unwillingness to surrender. No matter how many pet rocks were sold, not one human ever had a real relationship with one. No matter how popular false teaching is about the Holy Spirit, unless people understand him to be a person, no one will ever have a real relationship with him either. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you clearly want us to know who you are. Your scripture is full of truths about you. Your scripture is full of words about you. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess. We just go to your word and believe. But God, if we're not fully experiencing you, it's because we've stiff-armed you or not understood you. And both are under our control to fix. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts to want everything the Spirit has for every one of us. To see our church as a group of Spirit-led, Spirit-guided, sold-out believers who will accept and do whatever God asks them to do. God, it's incredible what you can do with a group of people whose hearts are truly yours. So right now, God, if there are people in the sound of my voice who are in sin or unrepentant sin. And the Holy Spirit is convicting you and the Holy Spirit is moving in you. Give up the control you never had.
Surrender to the Spirit. Let him restore, refresh, and allow the living waters to flow through you. Others of us, God, it's not a specific sin. It's an attitude of sin. We're not desperate for you. We're not desperate to see the things you have for us. We're comfortable. You never asked us to be comfortable. You never promised a wrinkle-free life. God, I pray that for our church, for every person, that we get to a point where we're all in. Anything, anywhere, any cost, anytime. Thank you for not allowing us to follow you any other way. And we ask it in Jesus' name.